0: 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, is it not for that reason, any lesser part of the body? And if the ear should say, "Well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason, any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honourable, we clothe these with greater honour and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the less honourable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way.
1: Good to see you. My name's Ross. I'm part of the team here. It's great to be with you to uh, open the Bible and to uh, think about what it means for our lives. As you heard at the start, uh, we're starting a new series tonight. We're looking at the book of 1 Corinthians looking at chapters 12 through to 14, and I'm really excited for uh, what God has to teach us and show us. I'm going to quickly pray as we start, and then we'll jump in and see what uh, God has to say tonight. Let's pray. Our uh, Father God, we thank you that you speak to us, we thank you that you know us, and we thank you that you don't leave us in the dark. Open our minds to your word and your will. Let us leave this place as changed people. Amen. Well, some of you might know our oldest daughter, Rosie, she starts school uh, this, no, sorry, next year, and uh, we're really looking forward to that, and I was thinking about it uh, this week. We got some stuff in the mail, and it made me think about that process of starting school, and it took me back uh, to the time that I started high school. I don't know if you remember when you first started high school, just probably a couple of years ago now, it's, uh, I remember being so nervous on my first day of Uh, High school. I remember walking down the ramp. I went to Innerborough back in the day. You walked down the ramp and there was an entertainment center on the right at the bottom. I remember walking into this place thinking, what is going to happen? Like, who am I going to be friends with? Will the teachers like me? Will kids pick on me? These are all these thoughts running through my head. It's kind of crazy, school, isn't it? We throw a hundred young people into a room. And then so quickly, all these kind of social dynamics just start happening, don't they? All of a sudden, there's an in crowd and an out crowd. There's people you do eat lunch with, and there's people you definitely don't eat lunch with. There's the impressive people, the people who make the sports teams, and the people who play chess. There's all of these kind of things going on. And uh, it's the same in any kind of grouping. Whenever we throw people together, different social dynamics develop. And I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about it, but the same is true for Saturday church. See, here in this room, there are certain dynamics at play. There are people who maybe feel more comfortable and people who feel less comfortable. There are maybe uh, people who feel like they always have someone to talk to and people who feel like they're always hovering awkwardly around the edges. Any group of people has certain ways of doing things, certain culture, certain attitudes. And uh, and what's really challenging, I think, about the church is that often what happens is ideas from the secular world, from out here, they start to kind of just infiltrate, don't they? The ways we do things in the world become just, without realising it, the way we do things here as well. And that, my friends, is really dangerous and toxic. And actually, that's what's happening in the church in uh, 1 Corinthians. These ideas from outside are coming in, particularly when it comes to this idea of spiritual things. I don't know if you noticed it. uh, In verse 1, uh, Paul says, "...now concerning spiritual gifts." And he's kind of changing topics at this point. The whole of the letter is a back and forward. They ask a question and he answers it. And now he starts to talk about the way they work together, the way their church looks particularly in relation to some of the more spiritual things. And we'll come back to that uh, later. But what's been happening basically is these two uh, worldly ideas have come into the church and they're wrecking havoc. And I think these two same ideas have been wrecking havoc ever since. Here's what they are. The first one is what I'm calling achievement culture. You'd have seen achievement culture all the time. Here's how it works. Uh, We think and are taught from when we're like this big, that life works like this. If you work really hard, you get what you want, and that makes you valuable. Okay, that's achievement culture. You get it? Work really hard, you get what you want, and that makes you valuable. And so subtly, uh, we're taught something. We're taught that almost we deserve a good life, we deserve the best, and if we don't have it, it's because we haven't worked hard enough, and we just need to... Work harder. But also, if other people don't have it, it's because they didn't work hard enough and they're not really very good at the end of the day, are they? This is achievement culture. And uh, achievement culture has some good things. I think in Australia we really value it. It means we value things like hard work, don't we? I think Australians hate it when they see other people not working hard, not putting in effort. Merit is really important. Pretty much every primary school has something about like merit or endeavour or hard work in their little slogan. Okay, We teach it and it's good. But here's the problem. What achievement culture does is it raises some people up and it pushes some people down. It creates hierarchies, doesn't it? And every sort of little subculture will have a different set of things. For the church back then, what was happening was, based on your past spiritual experiences or based on what you could do now, your spiritual gift, that made people either more important or less important. And this is at work, achievement culture. This is at work in our little community as well. That's the first one. The second one uh, is slightly different. I call it independence culture. Independence culture is the idea that all of us can do it on our own. We're strong, courageous people. We don't need help. And we're taught from when we're really young that our dependence is a really bad idea, aren't we? That's, that's a kind of almost like a dirty word. Dependence is bad. And subtly, we're taught not to ask for help. We're taught to figure out problems on our own. We're taught to uh, be strong. And there's something really good about that. And again, oh, so Australian, I think, this idea. We, we don't like asking for help. We don't like being weak. We don't like depending on others. We want to just be able to stand on our own two feet. I think it's something to do with being this little island on the other side of the world from everything else. We take a lot of pride and identity in being able to kind of almost like uh, fight above what we have. There's something in us. And can you see what that does to church, that kind of culture, when it comes in? Suddenly, we all start looking at each other and start pretending that we're all okay all the time. Okay? And what it can lead to is that no one asks for help or no one admits weakness. And everyone's always good. And the problem is then no one can ever ask for help because everyone always thinks that everyone else is good all of the time. Achievement culture and independence culture. And they really mess with church. And what they do, I think, is they stop us from turning in and seeing each other As brothers and sisters, and they make us turn away from people, look inside, and create hierarchies. And in our chapter today, Paul wants to really speak into this. He's going to give us two truths about the way church should be, the beautiful design that God has given us, which challenge and reshape these two big ideas. So that's where we're going to go. We're going to look at this uh, in two different sections. So uh, the first one is we're going to have a look verses 1 to 11, and we're going to see a big truth. Okay? The truth is that everything we have in life, everything, is a gift, so no one is better than anybody else. That's the first big truth, and we get that uh, almost straight away. Have a look at verses 1 to 3 with me. I don't know if this happened to you, but when I first read this, I was kind of confused how 1 to 3 connect to the rest of the letter. He kind of just starts talking about Jesus be cursed and Jesus be Lord and accept by the Holy Spirit. And then he just jumps straight into spiritual gifts. What he's doing in these verses is he's showing them that even the very beginnings of faith, even the ability to say Jesus is Lord, is not something we achieve on our own. He's striking out an achievement culture. Notice verse 3. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Do you get it? Even your ability to proclaim Jesus as the Lord, the most foundational, base level entry point to the faith, is a gift. See, none of you are believers because you're smarter than other people, or because you read more than other people, or because you're particularly impressive or served. God in some special way. No, your faith is 100% a gift from God. That's a great leveler, isn't it? All of a sudden, it brings us all onto the same level, the same starting point. But The question is, what next? What about people who look more impressive than other people in church? Because that's how it sometimes feels. Maybe you look at me up on the stage and think, goodness me, he's really impressive. Look at him talking without notes. Do you know how many people ask me, how do I do that? I almost want to bring the lectern back (laughs) so people stop doing that. But you know why I don't? Because I'm terrible with the words in front of me. I can't do it. I don't know how James and Neil do it. I cannot do it. So I have to leave them over there, otherwise you'll get a bad experience of the Bible being taught. Anyway, maybe you think that. Maybe you do. We'll notice what he does next. Uh, In verses 4 all the way through to 11, he tells us a big, beautiful truth. Here it is. Every single one of you has a spiritual gift. Every single one of you. See, when you come to faith, God, through his Holy Spirit, he gives you a gift. And he lists a whole bunch of them here. Now, this list is not exhaustive. There's actually more gifts than are listed here. Some of you will have the gift of prayer. Some of you uh, might have the gift of encouragement, I have a friend. And he just has that. It just runs through his blood. Whenever anyone does something, he just can't help but encourage them and tell them what was good. And I think he has helped more people do ministry through his power of encouragement than what anyone I know. It's wonderful. Uh, some of you, your gift might be that you are the kind of person who when they smile, they make other people feel at home. And so you make people every week at church feel like this is a place that they want to be. See, God's gifts are diverse, massively diverse, but you have one. You have one, and as we're speaking about gifts, it's important to note there's a number listed here, and some of them feel quite uh, extraordinary. I'm talking about things like miracles and healings. I thought I'd just quickly—I won't dwell on this for long—but if you want to ask me about it later, please do. Uh, it's important to see that all these gifts, they can and still do happen in today's church. However, depending on when you are in salvation history, I think depends on how much you might see the particular gift. So in the early church, you saw a lot of healings and a lot of miracles because the word of God was going out and deliberately it was used to show the power of Jesus. I don't think we need that or see that as much anymore. I also think that through common grace, God has raised up all sorts of medical experts in our our world, particularly where we live, and so we might see less of that. But these things can and still do happen Uh, Just, you know, think about the Anglican Church in Sydney. We run a healing service at the cathedral every Wednesday night. Okay? These things are not completely gone, but we just see a little less of them. If you want to talk to me about it later, please do. So, here's the big point. Verses 1 to 11, everything you have is a gift, so no one is better than anyone else. And because we have a gift, and because we're not better than others... We should use our gifts for the common good. We should use them to help each other. And so what I want to do now is help us think about a few practical ways that this works out in our community. The first thing I want to say is that because everything is a gift, that means we should respond with humility, not pride. I think it's almost human nature that we are quite proud about our, you know, things we have, the nice house we have, or the fancy job that we have or the great spiritual gift that we have. But if we just slow down and realise that everything we have, our jobs, our kids, our money, our friendships, all of these things, every single one of them is a gift from God. You didn't earn it. That changes the way we view them, doesn't it? And what does even more is it changes the way we view people who don't have them. Is what achievement culture does, if you do well in your job and you earn a lot of money and you're really impressive and then someone else isn't, you can start to think, oh, I'm better than them. But no, we need to respond to our gifts with humility, not pride. That's the first thing. The second thing is that I want you to really know deep in your bones that you have a gift. You have a gift. I uh, I have someone who's quite uh, close to me. I've known them for a very long time. And uh, for as long as I've known them, they've thought that they don't have a gift. They really, truly believe it. And I think I've met this person in almost every single church I've been in, in every congregation I've been in. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're sitting there looking around the back of your mind thinking, oh, I know what they're good at. I know what they're good at. I definitely know what he's good at. But thinking, I just I'm not good at anything. I want to say, don't listen to that voice, that's just Satan whispering in your ear an untruth. As surely as Jesus died and rose from the dead, you have a gift. Maybe you don't know what it is. If that's the case, can I encourage you to ask someone else uh, or come and chat to me? I've got a good resource that helps people think through what they're gifted in. But I just really want you to know, you do have a gift. You do have a gift. And so if you have a gift, that leads us to our third point, we should use our gifts. See, God gave us all gifts for a reason. He didn't give them to us so that we could just kind of sit pretty and know that, oh, we're good at something and that feels nice. No, he gave it to us, did you catch it? Verse 7, for the common good, so that we would serve each other. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a gift, use it, brothers and sisters, use it. The church, and ultimately God, loses something if you don't. Now, maybe you don't know how to use your gift. Maybe you're looking for an area to serve and you just don't know what to do. Can I encourage you, if that is the case, chat to James. I'm sure he would love, more than almost any other conversation tonight, to talk to you about how you could use your gifts and serve the church. It's a beautiful thing. And I know that uh, life is very busy. I feel that. Uh, as a dad with three little ones in my life, uh, it feels like I'm being pulled in every single direction and every single community group, social organisation I'm in keeps sending me emails about how I can help out. And I think I can't. <laughs> I'd love to. Sounds great. Uh, can I encourage you, and I say this gently, that the church is not like every other social organisation. And it's good to be involved. It absolutely is. I've been coaching uh, one of my kids' soccer teams this year and that's been uh, wonderful. We need to be involved in the world. But actually, this is our family. I'm going to say this in a second. This is the body of Christ. We must help each other. We must serve. We must be a part of it. This isn't uh, optional in the church. You have a gift. So let me encourage you, use it so we don't miss out and so God doesn't miss out on the glory. So that's the first big, Big point. No one is better than anyone else. There's no special people in the church because God and everything in life is a gift. That brings us to uh, the second big part uh, of our passage today. Looking at verses 12 uh, through to verse 31, we see the second big principle for us. And this principle uh, is a little different but helpful. The principle is that yes, you have a gift, but nobody has every gift and so you need each other. That's the big idea that comes in these last uh, few verses. Nobody has every gift, and so we all need each other. This section starts with this beautiful language of the body. I love this picture of church as a body. I find it so helpful. No human illustration can ever quite get at the richness of this little picture here. I find it uh, so helpful. And the reason it's helpful is because it reminds us two things of church. It reminds us that... In the church, everyone is different. And we know that, don't we? Like, as so we look around the room, we all have different backgrounds, we do different jobs, we like different things, we're good at different things, we have been gifted in different ways. We're radically different. But there's this beautiful unity. There's diversity but wonderful unity in the church. And part of what's going on in this diversity is that God deliberately makes us all different from each other. Have a look at the very end. Uh, Look at verse 29 and 30 with me. He says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? What's he saying in the background? No, you don't. We're all given a thing to do because no one has everything. It's really bad in church. When one person tries to do everything, have you ever seen this? Sometimes happens, often it's the minister's fault, because it's the minister doing it. They're trying to do everything, but we're not good at everything. And we, we miss out <laughs> from all the wonderful gifts that uh, you have. And if one person tries to do everything, there's only so much they can do. Where if the whole body gets together and does stuff, it's amazing what God can do. See, deliberately... We don't have every gift. And so we need each other. That's really the driving point. Verse 21, have a look with me. As it is, oh, sorry, that's 20. Uh, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. See the point? We need each other because we can't do it on our own. And what's really amazing is that actually God has gathered in this room, all of the people that he needs. Just the language uh, right down the end in verse 28. And God has appointed these in the church. God appoints people. I really love that language. It means that God gets people and he brings them deliberately to a place and a space and he says, these are your people. This is your body. This is the place for you to serve. None of you are here by accident. You might have thought that you chose to come to Saturday church. Nah. <laughs> God chose for you to come to Saturday church. God chose you particularly, with your unique, wonderful, quirky shape, to be in this room tonight, to call these people brothers and sisters, so that you could do the very thing that God had for you to do. That's why it's not so hard to, uh, when someone leaves a church, because we miss them. We know that they're a gift from God for a while and and we feel the absence of them. So no, you were put here for a reason and God intends to use you and let him do it. And all this language of need, it reminds us that we're meant to care for each other. You can't help but get away from that. And I'm going to talk about this more in a second, but we're meant to be a community that looks in, not a bunch of individuals. You see, independence culture drives us to see ourselves as just one person just on our own. But what this reminds us of is that we're all together. You can't pull us apart and we can't do it on our own. And so as we bring this uh, back into our everyday lives, it's important to uh, reflect on what it means. Before I do that, actually, I would want to say one last thing. Uh, You might think that verse 31 completely undercuts everything that I've just said. I'll read it to you. (laughs) But desire the greater gifts. That's an interesting little verse. And, uh, and the answer is, how that fits in, is that James next week is going to explain it to you because he's preaching the next two weeks and so he can, he can solve that problem. Don't worry, it doesn't. Totally undercut. You'll see how it works out in chapters uh, 13 and 14. That's double incentive. I know you already want to come listen to James next week. That's double incentive to come. He'll come and show you how that all works next week. But for now, let me move into some practical applications. What does this mean for us? If you bring up the first one for me, that'd be great. Yeah, I already kind of mentioned this a little bit, but it means that we must care for one another. We must care for one another. I don't know if you think this about the church that you go to here at Genali, but one of the things that struck me uh, when I first came here, two things struck me actually, I'll tell you what they were. Uh, one thing was I really appreciated the degree to which you focused on mission work and missionaries. I think that really stood out to me when I first came. Maybe you don't think you're very good at that as a church, but it, it stuck, stuck out to me. The second thing was, uh, I just couldn't believe how often people brought meals around to my house for just random reasons. And, uh, and that's just a little symptom of a beautiful subculture. I think one of the things that I love about this church is how much people care for each other. And really, uh, this application isn't to tell you to do anything particular. It's just meant to be an encouragement to say, I think that's amazing, that's beautiful, keep doing that, keep loving each other, I uh, I was reflecting on Thursday Church this week. Uh, There's this time at Thursday Church where instead of someone getting up to pray, the minister will just ask for prayer points and people will just kind of fill them in. And I think it's the most extraordinary moment in the church service because what happens is basically everyone just reports back on how all the missing people are going. And they just know everything that's happening in all of their lives. They can tell you when Beryl's next test is. They can tell you how Genevieve's daughter's cousin's sister is going. And it's wonderful. What you see is this deep care. And I think that exists in, in all of our, our congregations. And I just want to say keep, keep going with that. Uh, if you feel like that hasn't been something that you've been a part of, can I encourage you to find ways to care for one another? That's what the church is for. That's the first thing. Okay, uh, number two. Uh, I wanna, this is also an encouragement with a slight warning. One of the things that I love about this church is that, as far as I know, there aren't any divisions in the church. I've been part of churches where this was not the case, where there were genuine and significant divisions in the church. And I'll tell you what, I was talking to a brother uh, this week who's at a church that I know well where this is happening. And uh, he was asking me, oh, why do you reckon we're not sending people into ministry anymore? And I said, oh, mate, you've got to go back 20 years ago. And this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And And these were all divisions, breakdowns. And what what it means is that this church is just failing to be the church now. And wonderfully, as far as I know, that hasn't happened yet. But can I encourage you, that can happen anywhere because we're all humans, we're all sinners. And so if you see little divisions playing out, uh, the Bible encourages us, uh, Matthew 5, 27, I think it is, it says, be reconciled to one another. If you've got an issue with someone in the church, work on it. If you've got an issue with the church leadership, work on it because we don't want to let the brokenness of people break what we do here. It's a wonderful gift, beware divisions. Now finally, can I encourage you to practice vulnerability. That's kind of built in, I think, to this whole section. Uh, this beautiful picture of loving one another, being this caring, mutual community, this community who needs each other, is that we're vulnerable with one another. I think one of the hardest things, though, about vulnerability is it's always hard to be the first person. It's like uh, I remember going as a kid to Guatemala and you jump off the rock, it's always hard being the first person who jumps off, isn't it? But once one person's jumped off and they didn't die, then you're like, oh yeah, this is alright, I can do it too. Uh, The same goes with vulnerability. It always takes one person to say, hey, I need a bit of help. (laughs) For everyone else to be like, oh, me too. (laughs) I've got this thing going on or that thing going on. And so can I encourage you to practice vulnerability. And that doesn't mean you go around to every single person telling them your deepest needs but it does mean you find a group of people. Maybe it's your growth group where you share what's going on. And can I say, uh, I think as leaders, if that's what I am, we need to model that to you. And I don't think leaders are very good at that sometimes. It's hard to do that because uh, we don't ever want to make it about us and we don't want to ever do that. But if I try to practice vulnerability with you, I think the last year of my life has been probably the hardest year of my life. And you don't need to worry about me. I've got people in my life who are looking after me and caring for me. But I want to do it as best as I can to say, sometimes we just have really hard periods. There's been moments where I have no idea what God is doing in my life. No idea how to move forward with some things. But God is a good and gracious King, and I know that. And I have people who pray for me and love me and who help work through things that are complex in our lives. And you can all have those people too. So can I encourage you? Have practice vulnerability because when one person jumps in the water, it helps you know it's safe. So maybe you need to be the first person, which is tough. Or maybe I just gave you a bit of space to jump in as well. Well, what do we see tonight as we look at the Bible? We learn the dangers of achievement and independence. They pull us apart. They make us stand on our own. They make us think that we are better and some are worse don't enable us to be the beautiful thing that the church is meant to be. Rather than sit here and think, I've got this, and that makes me better than them. We should sit here and think, we are all wonderfully different, yet wonderfully the same. We all need Jesus. Let's try and get on and do it together. Amen.